Our hearts are in it. This is our blood, sweat, and tears. You know, we eat what we kill. We're sacrificing our time to do this from our children time. That's relatable. You cannot fake authenticity. Get out of your comfort zone, bet on yourself first, put yourself out there. Get out of your way, turn off the fear, and fucking go. What are you waiting for? Welcome to Personal Injury Mastermind. I'm your host, Chris Dreyer, founder and CEO of Rankings.io, the preeminent personal injury marketing agency. Before we get started, if you like what you hear, head on over to Apple or Spotify and pound that five-star review button. And if you don't like what you hear, tell me about it in a one-star review. I got a big hug for all my haters too. Each week, we talk to the best in the legal industry. Ready to dominate your market? Let's go. To describe Gina Sapanta as driven is an understatement. She executes on her vision unapologetically and helps others do the same. The co-founder of ZA Lawyers, CEO of Alder Law, and host of the Empower Hour podcast has defined success on her own terms. Gina plays up her strengths and gets out of her own way. Today, she offers up a masterclass on positioning your brand. She explains how to stand out and speaks candidly on how to make authentic connections. It's easier than you may think. Here's Gina Zapanta, co-founder of ZA Lawyers. After four years at USC, I realized I didn't want to graduate yet. So I added another major, double major, IR in psychology. And I talked to the dean of the International Relations School and I said, I, I don't know what I want to do. And he says, why don't you try law school? It seems like a good jumping off point and maybe you can take more time. And I did that really just based off him recommending that and went to Loyola Law School. Actually, it was second year of law school in contracts class where I realized I did not want to practice typical law. I have a very much road less traveled journey in law. That's so interesting. I hear so many attorneys will say like, look, I, I didn't learn about the business in law school. And, no. and you just identified that really early on. Immediately. Because I realized, well, you don't know what you don't know. But I saw enough in law school that, yeah, they're going to teach you the theory of law and the philosophy and the history and blah, blah. But how do you function as a business owner? I've always had that very entrepreneurial spirited and minded. So I didn't want to do billable hours. I knew I absolutely knew I didn't want to work for someone. But I also still didn't know what I wanted to do because I understood, well, you have to have experience and you have to put in the work and cut your teeth and get all that done. But just something inside of me was like, there has to be another way. And, and in law school, as you know, a lot of them are very uh, litigation focused and they want to pump out litigators and they want to create litigators. And that's great. But I don't want to do that either because my anxiety takes over and I cannot stand in front of people and talk. I do it all the time. That's just not my favorite because the self-criticism and fake fears sometimes take over. That's so interesting. I would never know that. And a lot of my peers give me hell because I don't go to a lot of conferences because I truly am an introvert. But I like the setting of a podcast because it allows me to, you know, have like a prepared like conversation and like get to know people. There's safety. Yeah, right? it's safe. So with that entrepreneurial spirit that you have, you move quickly. Out of school, I immediately started looking for jobs outside of the law field. My parents were beside themselves. They're like, what are you doing? And I said, mom, dad, I just, I don't, I know there's something else. And I still couldn't define it. So they probably thought I was this wayward, ungrateful child. I ended up uh, becoming a personal assistant for a private equity billionaire in Beverly Hills and did PA work. I thought I was having the time of my life after coming out of three years of law school then to this billionaire lifestyle, which wasn't mine, it was his, but I was his PA. And 
anyway, long story short, I did that for three years and that lost its luster <laughs> very quickly. And my dad again was a surgeon and I saw that he having built his practice from the ground up, having had no, he built it from nothing. I saw an opportunity as a lawyer because I passed the bar while I was a PA. And when he didn't promote me to in-house counsel with his, you know, to, to start working there to learn, I was like, I got to go. I saw the opportunity and the niche to create a lean business for my, my dad and his orthopedic surgery group and offer concierge medical lean services to lawyers. Because I was a lawyer, I had a bar card, I could go to lawyer events as a lawyer, but really as a vendor. And I intentionally deactivated my license because working med legal, I never wanted anyone to, you know, to think I'm holding myself out to be a lawyer and I'm with the doctors. So strategically, I deactivated my license and founded and ran that, that business for 10 years. And through that, I, I didn't know what PI was because as you know, in law school, they don't teach you what PI. Right. I had to Google what was a personal injury lien. I mean, the practicality of someone, of teaching someone like how to make money and how to be successful, they don't, it's not there. And it's a big disservice. And my husband and I actually are on this huge campaign and going to law schools and saying, you don't need to hear about us, about the law from us. Let us tell you the real world things you need to know. Learned all that on the medical side and got wonderful exposure that while good, bad and ugly exposure to the PI world, being a vendor, representing the doctors, advocating for the doctors and patient rights. But these patients were clients of personal injury lawyers. And so I saw from the treatment side and how really scrupulous ethical lawyers who are excellent at their trait handled a case. And then how you have these mill billboard lawyers taking advantage of people, like hardworking people, usually living paycheck to paycheck, who were injured in these PI accidents. And that lit a fire for me. And long story short, I go through a divorce. While I'm doing that, I meet my now husband, Mike Alder of Alder Law. And he has this incredible reputation as a litigator. I had heard about him in oh, through the years because I wanted my doctors to do surgery on their cases. We had surgery. It was It all made sense to me then. But when Mike and I connected, we that's when ZA Lawyers uh, the idea for ZA Lawyers was born because we, he and I were both very fed up with the direction the industry was going as far as mill lawyers, mill law firms, the billboard marketing firms holding themselves out to be lawyers, and then seeing the predatory practices in these retainer agreements, which I'm sure you've heard of, that these firms are using currently. And that gave us the idea, how can we offer more services to the community, the people, the clients? ZA Zapanta Alder, ZA Lawyers was born, and we made that specific for work injuries. And Alder Law has employment, um, personal injury, toxic tort. When you have employment and work injuries, there's usually an immigration component as well. We decided to add that as well to create a very wide net to assist people in need. And that's, that is the genesis of ZA Lawyers, and it was launched the month of the shutdown. <laughs> <laughs> what what a time to launch, right? So much fear, so much. We figured it was now or never. Yeah. Because, and we turned COVID into an opportunity. We, to this day, COVID was the greatest opportunity. We could have let it define us. We could have, it's, you know, shut it, shut us all down. What an opportunity to have time that we would never have to create and build and be intentional and, and build out a new firm and learn 
social media as a marketing tool for our firms. COVID was phenomenal in that sense for us. That's where the firm was born. And now we're not only in California, but also in Louisiana. A lot of movement. <laughs> and we got married. There's so much. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So you, you got the experience and the knowledge on the inside and, and you get to apply that. You have these great relationships. Yeah. You meet Mike and you build something special and, and together with both of your experiences and, and kind of putting your heads together. When you think about advertising, if you get binary, it's like you have the pre-lit settlement mills and then you have the litigators that get maximum value, right? right that are skilled, that are advocating for their clients. When you're thinking about that, and you, you already mentioned social media, how do you get in front of the cons consumers though? Like what's the marketing approach from a biz dev side to make sure you're not distinguishing yourself like a mill with those lack of empathy-based statements on the billboards and really hit your core audience. I appreciate that you ask that, the way you ask that especially, because that has been our conundrum. Obviously the law side, that we can figure that part out. The hardest part, the biggest learning curve has been the marketing side of it. And being in a saturated market like Los Angeles, where you are going up against these billboard um, advertisers who have millions to pump into their marketing every month, we had to get creative. Again, we saw social media and the opportunity to learn it in COVID. And, and Mike actually was the one who first jumped on. He didn't know what a hashtag was at the start of COVID. He didn't. He's like, what, what's a hashtag? Is that the, the dial number? I'm like, oh my God, I knew what that was. And so he signed up. Like we started just as a student does, he signed up for a $200 a month virtual lesson from a, a stay-at-home mom in Indiana who her audience was stay-at-home moms. Like, let me show you how to use social media to become a lifestyle influencer. He took that class. And it's the same concept, right? It doesn't matter what industry. And he learned hashtag, why hashtags are important, how you do. And I let him do that. And then he would download me. And we quickly realized after we learned it, and we're still learning it, to separate ourselves and to differentiate ourselves, we have to be relatable. What those big mills and the million dollar marketing budgets don't have that we have is that we're real people. Our hearts are in it. This is our blood, sweat, and tears. You know, we eat what we kill. We're sacrificing our time to do this from our children time, right? That's relatable. That cannot be conveyed on a billboard. That cannot be conveyed in a power suit person who doesn't even look like you, who doesn't even speak your language. I speak your language and I look like this. That's the leverage we have. And sure, they can try to copy. And I know that I've seen some of it. Go ahead, try to copy, but you cannot fake authenticity. And we bank on our authenticity. My family's from East LA. I'm the product of a first generation education. I wasn't first generation. I lived, I grew up very well off, but my dad is, and I'm one generation removed from that. And there's nuances and sensitivities to that. So we identified the leverage we have as being authentic, as being just real people as well. One generation or one paycheck, if you will, removed from the real person. If people can identify what is their leverage, are they into sports? Do they have a certain hobby? Do they have a thing? Like my husband loves chickens. If you follow him and goats, the chicken and goat posts get the most attention and most engagement, but that is such a read on the pulse of society and what the potential clients want. They don't want, yo soy un abogado, I'll fight for you. That's not even us. We don't even talk like that, but he can feed the chicken and be like, you know what this chicken reminds me of? And his Southern drawl, this chicken reminds me of when you get hurt. <laughs> I mean, he actually doesn't even do that because that's cheesy, but you know what I mean. That's how we address the marketing that's out there. And again, we bet on ourselves. That's the best bet you're going to make. And 
I would advise people not to put money into these marketing companies. They will wine and dine you and dazzle you with what they can promise you. Bet on yourself first. Bet on yourself first and maximize that and get out of your comfort zone. It feels so weird to talk into a camera. I know it's so weird. Who's going to listen to me? I'm embarrassed. What am I going to say? What if they don't like what I'm wearing? What if I get out of your way, turn off the fear and fucking go? What are you waiting for? Oh, but everyone's bigger than me. They have a bigger budget. I don't even know where to start. They're stopping themselves versus get a chicken or you love dogs. Talk about your dogs. Talk about hockey. I don't know. (laughs) If you're the chicken guy or the goat lady, people will remember that. They will remember you. By standing out, you can become relatable. It's so simple. Show what you like and care about. People think, oh, this individual likes animals. I like animals. People love it. It's approachable. It's not intimidating. And we have to remember who our client base is. As you know, Marketing 101, you need to know who your clients are. Who are you talking to? Do not use legal jargon. They don't know what a statute of limitations is. I barely know what a statute of limitations is. You know, it's like, be relatable. You've got to talk. You've got to think like you're talking to someone who maybe has a high school education, if that. Little things, it's the little nuances and the little sensitivities you have to be aware of. And having a bigger market share, absolutely, I agree with you. There is, there's two theories. Yeah, bigger market share, owning the market. What are they doing for the community? Are they at the food drives every weekend like we are? Like we're there. Uh, are they sponsoring sco- local high school scholarships consistently? Not a one hit wonder, come in with all your banners and then you leave and have no more investment in the community. Go ahead, good luck. Everyone knows your name though. I think there's there's so much to be said with that. Even the, the grassroots type of marketing that you're talking about and, and actually caring and it's the giving without expecting anything in return and then the return comes tenfold. 100%. And all of that. The, the other thing too is I talk so much, we talk so much about social media marketing and I agree, amazing channels. That's where wherever the audience congregates is, is an opportunity to advertise and connect. I always tell people when they ask me, they're like, hey, do you guys do social media marketing? I'm like, no, honestly, you should do it in-house. You should have a video person there that can travel with you in the community, that can participate in the grassroots and and get the real experience as opposed to me trying to piece something together through Zoom or Riverside. It, it just, it's, it's inauthentic. Absolutely inauthentic. And you just become another non-approachable lawyer versus, I mean, you look, honestly, I love how you're presenting because you look like a fun guy who is not intimidating. And I can actually tell you my problems and I'm not embarrassed. I'm not, uh, you know, people have shame or they're embarrassed or they're worried or scared. People will come talk to you because you look like that. And that's authentically you, you know? Thank you. Probably have business pants on underneath that shirt though. I bet you. (laughs) They're probably slacks. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. <laughs> uh, well, I try to, I, I think it's a better conversation when we're, when we're genuine and, and we get to oh, the yeah. real issues and have this real instead of stuffy conversations. Those are the worst. I hate formality. I hate stuffy. Let's be organic. But then you have to, it goes back to, you have to truly care. Cause if and we know these people, I'm going to make all the money. I'm going to billboard and market share and that, 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 Those people aren't even thinking on my plane. They are not even on our energy level. They're going to connect with a certain kind of client. And unfortunately, those clients are going to get screwed. They don't know any better. But if you connect with people in the same wavelength with you and you have to be attuned to thinking that way, altruistically, community-minded, not every lead or not every marketing campaign is going to yield something. 
what's the ROI on your on that? Why are you doing those food drives? You're not getting any cases. Food, the karmic bank that we have created, it pay, like you just said, it has paid out a billion fold and continues to. And and business will naturally come. It's just you you have to do it for the right reasons and don't force it. It's not going to work. People see right through that. And it backfires as a matter of fact. And I'll, I'll say it, it's it's definitely been working. I mean, you expanded in Louisiana. Yeah. What what was the tipping point that you decided, hey, it's time we're going to move to this location? What was kind of the strategy behind that decision? So while we're growing ZA lawyers here, because it is still very much in growth mode, we go to Louisiana often. We have a home there. Mike was raised there. He's barred there. And going back and forth so much, again, being attuned to the community and being very community-minded and wanting to see how we can help and support and whatever, I saw there was a very large Latino population there and there's virtually zero Latino lawyers or marketing. There's some, but nothing like here. And I said, well, if there's no advertising there, people are clearly overlooking this population who I know are in need and I know are taken advantage of and I know get in accidents, but they're so scared because of their documentation status or just their cultural or societal fear of power and hierarchy. They don't say anything. They just want to keep their job because they need that job. They're raising their children. They don't want to make a noise. Culturally, it's generally like that. Knowing all that, I said, we need to expand here. It's a perfect opportunity. We have two lawyers on the ground now. We are uh, we have an office in New Orleans on Canal Street, and it's daunting to run. <laughs> I thought it was just going to be easy. I said, we could replicate what we're doing in Los Angeles or in California just do it in New Orleans or in Louisiana. But there's also a big cultural divide in the South. (laughs) I look the way I look. And there's not been anything that's been so like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. And I also know, and I'm going to say it because it is what it is. I'm married to a white man from the South. I have leverage. Again, the, I saw the leverage. I see the opportunity that I can get in spaces. I can get indoors with what I have, the tools I have. I can get indoors and get in front of these people, however I have to do it, to help them. The Know Your Rights campaign. I I tell them, look, you don't even have to hire me, but you need to know your rights if you get pulled over and you're undocumented. Or if you're documented, do you know what to do if you're in an accident? Do you know what kind of insurance you have? Like, Do you know how much coverage you truly have? Nobody talks to us like this. Any of us in any state. I see that. And so just knowing that we were spending our time there so much, Time is money. Time is energy. Why not make it make sense and do what we're already doing and expand and scale that way? And I'm very cautious to not bite off more than we can chew, obviously, because in our mind, it isn't as get as big as we can. Absolutely not. It is quality over quantity. Um, We have a finite amount of resource and energy and life left in us. Family is equally as important, and I'm a woman and a mom, and I say this, it's very controversial, but my work is as important as my children. My work is my first child, and I am unapologetic about that. And so being cognizant of growing and brand or scaling and expanding, but cognizant of what's in the gas tank, like how much energy do I, what do I have to take, how do I have to take care of myself and my family to sustain that? And so that was the impetus to go to Louisiana And so we're growing two firms in both states simultaneously. And this is separate from Mike's Alder Law litigation firm. Gina is unapologetic in her pursuit of success. She hosts the Empower Hour podcast to help others do the same. She explains how to create a life that you love. 
The question is so deep, it's easy. It's not a scientific secret. It's not something that only the one percenters have or the rich have that you don't have. It's you. It's you. It's us. It's the self-criticism and the self, the negative self-talk. I don't believe in myself. How come she's so lucky? How come she has? There's no luck. There's no luck. There's pulling yourself together and loving yourself first, going after what you want, not what culture or society wants you to do. Culture and society wants you to fit into a puzzle piece. And if you don't, something's wrong with you. If you don't, you're going through a midlife crisis. I hate that fucking word. What about a midlife awakening? Because you're actually looking around and like, what life is this? Why am I even in this profession? Why did I get married? I always wanted to backpack across Europe and I never got to do it because I have kids and I have this. And because you're keeping up with the Joneses for fear of being cast out of the herd. The whole Empower Hour movement is living unapologetically going against convention, especially as a woman. And I, I don't like saying the word woman because it really doesn't matter because I think if you identify and, and categorize yourself, you're, you're giving yourself a glass ceiling. I'm not a woman-owned business. I'm a business owner. I'm not a woman lawyer. I'm a lawyer. I'm not a woman of color, Latina, woman, divorce. Stop. Those are bullet points. I am lawyer, business owner, mom, wife, and a fucking powerhouse. Everything, all those other categories are bullet points. But Empower Hour is to, is to teach people to make those definitions just bullet points, not definition. And then the self-love and saying no, saying no to things saying no. And again, it, it speaks to women because, you know, we were programmed and, and conditioned to respond and act a certain way, especially if we have a family. Oh my God. You don't say you love your kids. Well, I do, but I love my work too. Sorry, not sorry. Hashtag sorry, not sorry. I think the saying no sometimes is the, is the most, most difficult thing, especially when it comes to family oh. and, and setting those boundaries. Me and my wife, we have a young, uh, he's a year and a half. Oh. And it's like, oh, there's, there's different challenges here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my little guy's in the other room right now. I have 24-hour care. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. What do you mean? Don't you spend time with your son? Shouldn't you be with your kid? There's six kids between Mike and I now. <laughs> a lot of kids. No, I'm not going to apologize and I'm not going to fit into your definition of what I should be doing because otherwise I will be trapped on a hamster wheel and I will be living very small the way society wants me to live. Well said. Not doing that. No. Well said. Yeah. Well said. That's all. I, I wanna, <laughs> I'm going to shift over to the philanthropy side because yes. what you're doing over there is amazing. Uh, it, it's a common thread throughout your whole career. Where did this, this spirit come from of, of giving and, and tell me about a few of the organizations that you're passionate about right now? It's in my blood, my ancestors, you know, we were a people that not upwardly mobile, but knew there was something better. There was something more. There always was something more. And I learned it very young from my parents. You know, my mom didn't graduate high school. My dad and his brother became orthopedic surgeons, two Latino kids from East LA. My grandpa was a mechanic. And so my parents having been able to succeed from a statistically socioeconomically depressed life where statistically they should have just been in, in the community. The number being the statistic, their parents told them education, 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 education is the way out. And then when you unpack that, well, there's not equal access to education. There's the disparity in the inner city of quality education. And then don't even get me into healthcare. Just growing up so aware. And I grew up in Whittier where the girls are prettier. And that's the saying of the city. I didn't make sense. <laughs> people who know Whittier will laugh because it's, it's funny. But um, 
I grew up, again, like I said, very, very well off. I went to private school. I was the only person of color in the private school. That didn't really bother me because it wasn't a thing. They didn't make it, th- make it a thing. But living in Whittier, just down the street, there were people, generations that just, you're born, you work nine to five, you retire, you die. And I see it everywhere still. All of us, we see it. That sounds like the ultimate torture. You're saying you're a victim or you're powerless over your life because of the color of your skin, because of the lack of finance, because of the neighborhood you're from, because of whatever categories you're given, because you were, uh, you know, in a toxic, abusive past, whatever. And, and just seeing how my parents are like, you must give back and create opportunity for those that don't have it. Not everyone has equal access. And that's always been that way. But if you have the opportunity, it is your responsibility to open that door and you create the space. It's, you're not going to save everyone. That is the big thing I have to keep, Mike and I have to keep reminding ourselves about because that gets heavy sometimes. Like the stuff we see and the, the stories we hear, it's just, it's heavy. We can't save everyone, but we are planting some seeds and we will help some people. And we have, we've seen directly our involvement, whether it's through funds, which, oh, fine, you can always make more money, but what about my time? I can't get my time back. Sitting and, and spending time and just talking to someone and saying, look, Let's talk through this. How can I help you just to be heard? Oh, it's just, you create ripple effect and, and it's, it's just part of being human. And, and it, I don't know, it's fundamental. Too, when I think of like memories and things that I've done throughout my life, it's, it's these experiences, right? Mm-hmm. And these experiences that you're creating these amazing memories that you're, everything that you've been involved with are just so powerful and just stand the test of time and how they impact people. So mm-hmm. thank you for that. And that, that's, that's amazing. And it's, a resp- it's my responsibility. It's really an honor. From your execution side, right? This episode's going to air a couple months from now. And I kind of wanted to just, just have a fun question. By the time this airs. Okay. What will you have hoped to accomplish? I'm not going to hope to accomplish, period. What I will accomplish, comma, <laughs> or is that a colon? <laughs> what I will accomplish I uh, in a couple months. In a couple months, I will have started writing a book. Um, we're working on a documentary. That will be probably midpoint by then. I will have another son. Uh, we're pregnant six months through surrogacy. That's a whole other conversation going against convention. Again, here we go. So I will have another son and I'll be living my best life, like building this empire unapologetically. It's going to be, I'll be so much better positioned than I am today. So it's, I'm very excited. Thanks so much to Gina Sponta, co-founder of ZA Lawyers for her honesty and candid conversation today. You can find her on Instagram at Gina Sponta underscore. That's at G-I-N-A-Z-A-P-A-N-T-A underscore. And my cell phone, 323-559-5548. I am that authentic. I'm giving you my cell phone. You want to know why? Nobody's going to call me. Nobody will call me. Nobody will text me. Mike and I talk to so many people, so many students. We give everyone our cell phone. But that's the difference between executors and the non-executors who are going to complain and wonder, how come, how do I market? How do I, just fucking do it. Jump and stop being scared. Just do it. Go. Before you give Gina a call, let's hit the takeaways. It's time for pinpoints. Pinpoint number one, be your authentic self. When you share what you truly enjoy, it allows individuals to see you as a person, not just as an attorney. This human approach can make your marketing budget go further. Larger firms looking to capture the most attention from the widest audience have generalized messaging. Now this isn't a bad thing, but it does require more repetition and saturation in any given market. 
This means spending more resources to get that information to stick in individuals' minds. Gina found success in talking to her specific audience directly. What those big mills and the million dollar marketing budgets don't have that we have is that we're real people. Our hearts are in it. That's relatable. That cannot be conveyed in a power suit person who doesn't even look like you, who doesn't even speak your language. I speak your language and I look like this. Tim point number two, show up consistently. Grassroots marketing isn't effective if you're just playing lip service to the community. Once you make the decision to get involved, you have to show up over and over. So make sure the community you are looking to reach is one that you care about, are connected to, and can show up for. But if you connect with people in the same wavelength with you and you have to be attuned to thinking that way, altruistically, community-minded, not every lead or not every marketing campaign is gonna yield something. What's the ROI on your on that? Why are you doing those food drives? You're not getting any cases. The karmic bank that we have created, it has paid out a billion fold and continues to. And pinpoint number three, set boundaries. Decide what is important to you and carve out time for that thing. Maybe it's painting once a week or going to the gym. Maybe the boundaries are around how much time you can spend with family. Whatever you decide, remember that you cannot be in multiple places at once. Show up fully where you are. Like Gina said, you can always make more money, but you can't make more time. Structure your life a way that is meaningful and right for you. No, I'm not going to apologize and I'm not going to fit into your definition of what I should be doing because otherwise I will be trapped on a hamster wheel and I will be living very small the way society wants me to live. All right, everybody. Thanks for hanging out. I'm Chris Stryer. If you like what you heard today, click that follow button so you never miss an episode. Next week, we hear from Chad Dudley on how to get more value from the cases you've already got. You're not going to want to miss that one. Now get out there and dominate. I'm out.